This is CliffCentral.com. Richard, are we on track with the financial pack for my presentation to the board next week? Well, hopefully. The team's very short-staffed, and it's taking such a long time to find a suitable financial manager for the division. We're way behind on all our forecasts and reporting. Why don't you speak to the finance team? They're a consultancy that can help you with an experienced interim financial manager. You can have somebody to help you almost immediately. They'll hit the ground running with no long-term contracts and no upfront placement fees. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome back to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Leandi Streter, business coach and guide from Racecorp. Hello. Nice to be back. And Manisha Prem, author of Snapshot Your Business, the book we're busy doing a book review on. Manisha, thank you for staying with us in studio. So... Earlier on, we said that we were going to have um, two copies of the book available, and we're going to pose some que- or a question to uh, the audience out there. So to our audience, uh, if you're listening and you'd like to answer the following question, you need to tweet us your response. The tweet needs to go to the following tweet address, at TFT South Africa. That's the finance team's tweet address. And we'd like you to answer the following question, please. Earlier on in the first part of the show, we named six sins that can sink your business. If you're interested in getting a copy of Manisha's book and you're one of the first two respondents on this, you can uh, get a copy of the book from us by naming one of the six sins that can sink your business. So if you're interested and you'd be interested in that, please go ahead and send us a tweet with one of the six sins that can sink your business. Okay, so coming back after the break, Manisha, the the one thing that you know, I, I looked at the at the book and I thought to myself, sure, you know, you've been obviously been following our show. Our focus on ethics because I saw this really great uh, chapter on corporate governance and I just absolutely loved your title that said corporate governance is not just for corporates. And I think that that's often the common fallacy. And, you know, you need to, and you may, your byline, says, uh, the byline on the chapter says how to ensure that your business runs like clockwork. And very clearly in, in that chapter, the whole principle of transparency and accountability comes through time and uh, again and it's something that we've discussed in our keep ethics alive focus on a monthly basis i mean i would have assumed well and perhaps i do this incorrectly that small businesses understand transparency and accountability because the entrepreneur is there and 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 this is part of what they have to deal with what you're telling us is guys this is not the case and you need to make sure that you focus on it um I mean, what is your experience in this world of transparency and accountability? Is this where where, where things go go a little awry? Definitely. I've seen um, with small business owners, we think that it's a small act and we can get away with it. Um, When we are making decisions and we are unsure of how to make this decision, we're relying on our values and it's very subjective. And that's when we get into trouble. And typical examples would be, and, and you would know that in terms of the way we, we run our financials, we think we can put in a personal expense in a business account. I've seen in um, business accounts uh, the building of a personal home. 
Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I must admit I have also seen one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the, what we're saying about governance and ethics is that when there's the law, and if we break the law, we will get penalized. And there is also our values, which is on the other mm-hmm. side of our spectrum, mm-hmm. which is which we think to be the best thing for us at that moment. And in between is governance and ethics. Mm-hmm. What do we do that it's in the best interest of the business as a legal entity that's alive as a character that is going to sustain it and grow it? So it's not about me and what I need. And it's not about what's the law, mm. the minimum requirements. It's that very hazy in between. Of the entity itself. Of the entity. And the people behaving, the behavior expected from the people within the entity that is the, the very alive aspect of the business. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And that's when we fail from an ethics perspective. Yeah. Yeah, very, very valid. Very valid. I've seen, so one of the things that we experience a lot with entrepreneurs is the, this aspect of, you know, the government's, the governance side of things and um, from the perspective of, you know, what is, when can I run a personal expense and when I can't, especially on finance. Um, you know, guys are still, they've got great ideas, their businesses are taking off, their financial acumen is not necessarily the greatest and they're a little bit ignorant as well. So it's a journey and it's a process and I do, this book is fantastic in clarifying a lot of those things. I, I, I just want to say one thing about ethics and governance. It is your number one differentiator as a small business owner. It's not that you're BE, it's not that you're woman-owned, it's not that you're anything spectacular other than that you are able to conduct yourself in an ethical manner. Mm-hmm. And if you are able to do that and show that on your profile and your activities, you would actually enhance your business tenfold. Mm-hmm. And I think, I always say your integrity is your highest currency mm-hmm. as a business, small business owner. Nothing else, everything else falls second and third. Mm. Now, I would agree with that statement 100%. Now, when we start at chapter eight and we, we move on with, uh, with chapter eight onwards in, in, in the book, the, the one thing that, uh, we, we, you seem to have up until chapter seven, there's, there's almost, let's call it the, some of the frameworks. And then chapter eight just, springs into the world of let's get real here and, yeah. and, and the chapter for, for listeners is head, headed up business purgatory <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and, and, and that got my attention and I went whoa okay and then you use a statement you say the role of the CCMA and how to stay far, far away. <laughs> and, I, and I thought it was of this, this sounds, like, sounds like the opening lines to an Alice in Wonderland, you know, far, far away down the rabbit hole. Here right. we go. I mean, clearly, from the fact that it's the first item on, the, on your agenda there, the whole challenge of employment law and the CCMA and, and employment environment is, is clearly an issue that, that, that businesses are struggling with. Nisha, talk to us about what you've seen there and, and what you're trying to cover in the book and, and, and the critical elements for us. So f- from a labor perspective, um, as a business owner, you will be you will be in the CCMA. So whenever I'm in a room with 20 or 30 business owners, if I'm teaching or, or a workshop, and we take a quick census to see who's been to CCMA at least once, and then we go twice, 
We go up to, and it's my opinion that you go for an average of 10 to 12 times to the CCMA through a business life. Mm-hmm. The reason why is that the CCMA accepts all cases without okay. um, reviewing and um, having any form of control, and they and you are immediately summoned to to appear in the CCMA. So, labor matters are you know we don't understand the law as business owners, so we kind of hide away from it, and we have a, an idea of what labor is, but we don't really know what the rules are. Very true. So, and apart from the Consumer Protection Act, which is a very important piece of legislation, I encourage all business owners to download the Basic Conditions of Employment Act to go onto labor.gov.za quite often and try to get some kind of reading that you are push, making yourself read and be aware of the changes in legislation. Hmm. Um, so in terms of going to the CCMA, it's a very tough, tough chapter for me because oh, it's quite thorough. It's probably one of the longest chapters in the mm-hmm. book because I myself have been to the CCMA. Okay. And um, even lawyers go to the CCMA because it's the nature of our... Of our economy, it's who we, you know. It's a very real South African condition, and um, I think a lot of, for small businesses, many of them are very afraid to employ people as they grow and they scale because of the uncertainty around. You know that you know everybody has this fear. I don't want to be in the CCMA. I don't know, and. Um, I think for most people, when I'm looking at the book, the first one is very much about unfair dismissal um, by you know incorrect termination procedures or discrimination. And I think those are the two key things that stick out in most people's minds. But, um, you know, just having the incorrect retrenchment processes, employers' refusal to negotiate with unions, there's so many nuances and things that you need to be aware of, um, which could potentially put you in a difficult position. But the reality is, is is instead of, as you suggested, instead of being afraid of the process and not knowing, be informed and be aware of the fact that this is real and have the right people and processes in place. And it also wants labor matters and dealing with staff is not just about dismissals. Mm. Um, And we talk in the book about recruitment, management, and then dismissals. So the way you're bringing Mm. your staff on Mm. board, the way you're contracting that agreement, um, and then management, which is your performance management, um, and placing people on probation unconditionally, you know, in perpetuity, perpetuity (laughs) or using certain contracts that you're not permitted to legally. So, I mean, that's those are the major legal um, labor issues. Yeah. Now, you you talk about the concept of serial entrepreneurship in the next chapter, and you know buying and selling shares and assets like a pro. Um, you know, being able to interact uh, as a um, you know in in terms of as an entrepreneur. I mean, fundamentally, you know, these things do not come easily to an entrepreneur. You know, mm. valuing their own business being so close to the business, etc. What is the, you know, from the work that you've done, what is the one piece of advice you can give an entrepreneur out there who's considering either buying or selling a business or the underlying assets in the business? So if you're small, it doesn't mean that you can't grow inorganically. That's what I believe. You can still look for opportunities outside selling one um, one piece of you know, item or goods at a time or unit of goods, you can grow 
um, by acquiring shares. The first thing is that I do believe that it has very little to do with a good deal but and more to do with dealing with good people. Mm. So a deal is only as good as the people behind it. And the first thing, rather than chasing a good asset or a good transaction or a good customer or supplier that's in a different jurisdiction, rather deal with people that you are comfortable with, that are honest, and that have similar or same values to you. Because um, you don't want to be working with a partner who you that you're not on the same page with. Absolutely. I think the, that is such a important aspect and uh, a lot of our entrepreneurs also will tell you that they've learned dear lessons when it came to making partner decisions and especially when things go well not just when things go wrong you know that aspect of having somebody who shares the same values as you um, is so critical in both sides of the coin mm. now the, the next chapter that you've got, I just I, I looked at and I had a really good chuckle when, when it, uh, it's entitled "Not Another Naked Selfie." And I Love thought that. about all the social media challenges that that we've all faced. I mean, I, I, I think you know before you know your, your new cycle was defined as you know whether you made the deadline for the evening evening paper or the morning paper nowadays the either or or the or the evening talk show or whatever mm. it may be nowadays the deadline for managing your uh, company image and profile is as fast as somebody can tweet something which is really fast so I mean, in terms of social media and, and the pitfalls of social media, what are some of the thoughts that you, you have out there for, for entrepreneurs? What should they be thinking about? So the first thing is that if you are not on social media, it doesn't mean that your clients and your customers and your staff are not on social uh, media. Especially employees. And yes. your employees are on social media. So mm. you need to know that um, that you are exposed and your business is exposed. So you need to learn about what those risks are. The second is to understand that whatever laws that apply to us um, here on the ground still applies in a digital space. So, right. so if you are online, it doesn't mean that everybody's rights and obligations fall away. Hmm. So we cannot be hurtful. We cannot be defamatory. We cannot be racist. We cannot steal IP because you wouldn't steal IP from someone's office, but you would steal IP online. Somehow we have looser um, um, uh, what is it? Like parameters or when we are online we have looser rules that seem to apply to us online and it, it's the same laws that apply on in a digi- in a digital space and we need to be aware of what our employees are doing on their social media accounts because um you can be held responsible or liable for your employee's conduct online if it is bringing disrepute, disrepute, or any kind of harm to your clients. So uh, social media responsibilities needs to go into a social media policy and it needs to go into employment contracts. That is very good practical advice. I think that is, you know, sometimes that is, not sometimes, most of the time that is handed over to the marketing department or outsourced to mm. a digital agency. And uh, people forget that there's a very real link mm. in terms of what is being, being put online uh, from a marketing mm. and communications perspective versus what is being communicated by staff or potentially disgruntled uh, customers or, you know, uh, service providers and partners that we have. And then yeah. being aware yeah. of how to respond um, as well. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that that kind of came to me is just the frequency of 
um, let me call it uh, deviant behavior of employees. I mean, I saw recently uh, in the last weekend that uh, one of the uh, people connected with the Blue Bulls was uh, dismissed for a racial slur or racial uh, mm. uh, tweeting or uh, video that went viral, etc. And I thought to myself, you know, in this day and age, I actually cannot believe that people don't realize what they're doing. And mm. and I think to myself, well, if you're silly enough to think like that, well, then you must live with the consequences. You know, the the kind of view of, oh, well, you know, my privacy was invaded or somebody distributed something they shouldn't have or something got hacked or whatever. Oh, really? Why are you yeah. saying it in the first place? Exactly. So, you yeah. know, like, you know, please hold your counsel and, and please hold your views. Um, now, protecting your flock, you, you raise the question of intellectual property, and, I, and I'd like to dwell on this for a moment because I think this is something that's that's really important in, in, in many businesses is this whole question of, well, do you or don't you have IP? Um, and, and I guess for a moment we can also jump back to almost the naming and, and you know, what you're packaging, etc. You know, I've heard lots of people say, you know, oh, well, you know, what I've got is so unique, um, you know, I have to protect this. And, and, and then you kind of listen to this and you go, hold on a second. Uh, that's that's not protectable because it doesn't meet the definitions of something that's worth protecting or is you you can protect. What, where's the boundaries on what you can protect? That's trademarks, intellectual property, etc. Designs. Give us some some guidance here in terms of what what it's worth doing and when it it isn't worth doing. So, the CIPC um, manages and regulates the. Um, any IP so we have various legislation we have a whole bunch of them dealing with patents copyrights um, design um, and those and trademarks and all of them are managed and stored and located at the CIPC in Pretoria so if you do believe that you have first of all an original thought an original idea or an adaption of an original thought or an original idea that is now an improved version of that, I would suggest then that it needs to comply with the CIPC's requirements. It needs to pass those tests. And those tests are available on the CIPC website. Fantastic. So you need to be clear that it is an original thought, that it is an original design, and it is protectable as required by legislation. And then you second thing is that you need if you're looking to go down that path, then you need to it's it's something that cannot be done on your own. You need an IP specialist attorney. Mm -hmm. It takes a while because remember that if we are trying to protect anything, we also means that we are have having to know what our competitors are doing. Mm. So we need to research the market. We need to put in a provisional submission and we have to pay certain fees and it's best to work with an IP attorney. Mm. Um, and I always advise my clients that if you are unsure, then you start using protective mechanisms to protect your IP before you even go down that route. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, there, there's always that, that question of, well, have you got something that can be protected? Um, you know, you get, I also always, I always laugh when you 
um, I see these uh, scenarios where somebody does a restraint of trade and non-disclosure agreements and all the rest. And I always think to myself, well, this is all fine and well, but you've also got to have the ability to enforce these agreements. Um, and I've personally experienced this where restraint of trades, we've got a, um, we've got a restraint actually enforced by the high court and a high court order against the individual concerned and we have not been able to effect the uh, effect the restraint because he's the person in question is actually working for a competitor and the competitor doesn't care for the law and so they're uh, they just they just rebuff uh, the engagement and it's costing thousands of rands to try mm-hmm. and perfect your restraint and by the time you're done the restraint's almost over so like wh- wh- why why bother, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I often think people don't get good quality advice. I, I, uh, I think you often, I, I interestingly discovered, for example, that restraints, it seems that the labor court is much quicker to enforce a restraint than the high court, interestingly enough. So, you know, knowing where to go and how to perfect those restraints, for example, is, a, is, is something important to know about. Now, you, you talk about... As as we get to, uh, further on in the book about being at the marriage counselor, and so that's kind of why I went like, mm, why, why, why are we talking about a marriage here? And then you get onto the point of shareholder disputes, and I and that fundamentally is like a marriage. You've chosen your partner. Yes, you choose your partner in life in your marriage. You choose your partner in your business, and that is like a marriage. And you agree how you're going to operate going going forward. And, and when I say partner, partners, plural, um, you may have multiple uh, things. Um, makes a marriage sound quite interesting to say I've got multiple wives and husbands. <laughs> but anyway, but we get the point. So, what generally goes wrong in these sort of shareholders in the shareholder space? So we, the first thing is that we may not have a shareholders agreement. Mm-hmm. And although we can rely on the Companies Act, the Companies Act doesn't cover everything relating mm-hmm. to um, the way we enter and exit these relationships. A typical example would be in the event of death or uh, incapacity of one of the shareholders, what would happen to the shares, what would happen to his seat as a director, um, does it? Um, are there any preemptive rights? Can we buy shares in the event that he's no longer available to serve? And especially with founding shareholders, there's a slight nuance uh, difference between a, a founding shareholder, an original shareholder, and shareholders that come further down the line. Because we want to protect the individuals that are, have founded the entity, and they have certain passions and you know for the business. So incapacity, death. Exiting the business, preemptive rights, buying at certain values, having options to buy more, to buy less, because those are the things that we we, we don't talk about when we get into business. Mm. The biggest thing is obviously dispute and conflict. Mm. In the event of us not agreeing, and we hopefully we do disagree all the time because we don't want to have shareholders that agree because there'll be no growth. Mm. But how do we deal with a dispute as a result of us not agreeing or conflict. Mm. Um, so we can either look at bringing on an arbitrator or negotiating. And what a lot of us don't know is that we can go to the CIPC, to the company's tribunal, mm-hmm. who would be able to assist us with directors and shareholders' dispute. Okay, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting one to know, know about. And I guess for me, the the other element that, that one has to bear in mind when it comes to to this is the age-old story of 
don't make the assumption that somebody's not going to die or be disabled. I think we all live in that world. Mm. Just like you have your personal health insurance and your life cover, etc., it's important to make sure that if you've got shareholders and your plan would include you know, an exit from shareholding upon death or disability, you need to make sure that you have the requisite insurance in place and that you're appropriately advised on how to structure that. Um, so, yeah, just to listeners out there, I'd advise them to think very carefully. And, in fact, if I look through my business career, I would say that most businesses, when they face an event like that of somebody significant in their business, the very existence and survival of the business often depends on how well you've planned for this event. Uh, so that's something to, to mm. think about. Now, you talk about at the close of the book the last rights, the exit the legal exit from 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 the business um, that's obviously really really important uh, to get right and I mean we've been talking to to an extent with shareholders. What are the other things that we should be thinking about when when we say legally exit the business so we've maintained that the business and the legal entity is its own personality mm-hmm. and it is it has been alive and if it's now it's not working and from a revenue perspective, if it's not making money, we have to, to deal with the actual winding up process. So once again, the CIPC deals with birth and death and birthdays of, um, of companies. So we would make sure that we have to go through the proper winding up and liquidation process. And that is also set up in the CI, uh, is also set out in the CIPC. So an example would be um, ensuring that you deregister a, C, um, a PTY mm-hmm. Limited or a CC and mm-hmm. that you are removed as a director. You don't just stop trading and go home. Yeah. yeah I, I was going to say, uh, for me, one of the most important things is getting your name removed if you're not no longer involved in the entity. Yeah. I've had scenarios uh, where, where I'm getting fo- – I've had phone calls for entities that I have long – Gone, not been involved in the corporate space, particularly where I was a representative, director, etc. And you go, but I signed those forms, you know, six years ago, but somebody didn't file them, and now I'm getting the phone calls. Where's the tax return? Where's the this? Where's the that? And I'm like, oopsie, you know, I didn't do my diligence of saying, right. okay, send me back the confirmation from Subsi that I've been removed. Oopsie, okay, something to think about. Absolutely. And I think for small businesses, when things don't work out, um, you know, it's a hugely emotional process for, for many businesses that have just, you know, um, started up. It's been a family business. It's been running for five years or so or, or is heading on towards the seven to eight year mark. And things unfortunately don't work out due to bad partnerships or, uh, whatever the, the decision to be winding up the business. And quite often, you know, to remain cool, calm, collected, have the right legal advice, making sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. Uh, you know, don't forget the small stuff. It is really important because it does come back later when you've started a new business, let's say, or you may have moved into employment or another kind of entity. Um, absolutely. It's so important to make sure that from your side, things are wound up properly. Yeah, exactly. Manisha, it's been great chatting to you about the book. Uh, it's some great insights uh, contained in the book. Um, if somebody would like to get a copy of the book, how do they go about doing this? Other than answering our question that was out there, we're waiting to see what tweets come through. So you can email me on info at mprem.coza. Info at mprem.coza. 
www.ecofinancialgroup.coza. That's right. And Manisha has copies of the book available for, for acquisition via, via the, via the good old email methodology. <laughs> the, the, the challenge of being a self-publisher, you have to manage your own distribution channels. Manisha, thank you for your insights that you've given us throughout, uh, throughout the show. I must say the, the one thing that, that always strikes me is, we all think that this is really simple and then you spend some time in a mm. book like this and you realize the small little things that, that could really trip you up as a business person and mm, did I check this out? Did I, oh, I knew about that, but I didn't realize the depth of the, uh, of the issue at hand. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, as business owners, we never too old or know too much. Um, it's always important and insightful to spend some time in a quality book like this. Mm. So thank you very much for taking the time and the energy to write down your thoughts. Uh, it is appreciated by those out there. So thank you very much as the author. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks, Manisha. Thanks for joining us. Next up, the Youth Leadership Platform. Stay with us. This is cliffcentral.com.